This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 216, Shielding Against Sequence of Returns Risk with Jeff Hockwalt. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode. I have a question. Uh, Like so many episodes, I like to start with questions. It brings us right into today's topic. What is the biggest hidden viper in your retirement plan? Yes, there's lots of snakes, depending on how your retirement funds are allocated. But what is the most vicious, pernicious, and venomous snake in that retirement plan? Is it your combination of stocks and bonds that you particularly invest in? Is it maybe the future taxes on your portfolio in a 401k, for example? Is it the something outside of the market altogether? Foremost economists are now saying that the biggest unseen risk in any of our financial statements is not written on a piece of paper. In fact, it's not even known to any of us. It's something known as the sequence of returns risk. And I say it's not known to any of us because it's, it's the unknown future. In other words, sequence of returns risk is the impact or the sequence or order in which you receive good news or bad news from the market-based portfolio that you have in your retirement plan. If if you think about it, if you're at the top of the mountain and you've got all the money that you've ever accumulated over your entire lifetime, and you've got it all in your backpack and, and you start to feel a shake, you start to feel a rumble under your feet. And all of a sudden, you realize this mountain is undergoing an immense volcanic eruption, a massive volcano eruption and an earthquake to boot. You have got a lot farther to fall with all that money in your backpack than somebody down at base camp who can just, you know, maybe hop in his car and ride away safely. And if the market tanks early on in your retirement years, think of yourself like at the top of your net worth mountain. And if the market tanks early on in your retirement, it can lead to portfolio ruin, as our guest today will share more on. On the other hand, if you've got a great couple of years early on in the market, when you were 65, 66, 67 years old, and the market is just booming and going, and then maybe right at the end of your lifetime, the market, say, crashes right there, well, you have less to lose. You've made it safely back down the mountain at that point. Now, that is what sequence of returns risk is all about. And it's something that is not taught, certainly not taught by the oh-so-average financial media, Um, but we're here to share it with you today. Sequence of returns risk informs us that the five to 10 years just before we retire and the five to 10 years just after we retire is the most crucial period in your lifetime to pay attention to the order in which you receive good news and bad news from the stock market. So our guest today, Jeff Hockwalt, is going to take us through four basic ways to protect yourself against this vicious viper in your portfolio, sequence of returns risk. And he also mentions, in particular, using a volatility buffer account that can also not just protect you, but it can safely increase the amount of income that you take over your retirement years, somewhere in the range of 30 to 50% increased income 
over and against the standard OSO average recommendations from Wall Street professionals. So I know you're not going to want to miss any moment of this episode. Let me introduce you to Jeff Hockwalt briefly, and then we'll get right to his topic. Jeff Hockwalt is one of the kindest and smartest men I know. He's been in the financial services industry for over 40 years. He's a national best-selling author. He also leads the firm Financial Resource Partners and has worked with clients all across the country for many years to help them in building and growing their wealth uh, in ways that are counterintuitive to most financial investment gurus. Does this sound familiar? That's right. He's another one of our wonderful colleagues uh, in the Bank on Yourself Professionals movement. Jeff has a just a tremendous amount of knowledge and interest and expertise, but he also has the heart that just cares more than anyone else I know to do it right for his clients. So I know you're really going to enjoy this presentation from Jeff Huckwalt. It came from our Not Your Average Financial Summit. So if you weren't there, this is the sneak peek you get for not attending. If you want more, you've got to join our community site, which is notyouraverage.mn.co. And you can learn more and see some more of the content that we've been putting out there all year long and be invited to the next summit that we uh, are not going to talk about right now. I'm not going to reveal that yet. But for the time being, take a listen to this wonderful presentation from Jeff Hockwalt. Got it. That wasn't too bad. So you can see my background. Um, I've been a financial advisor since 1981. I actually got into the industry through uh, right out of, out of college. As the story goes, uh, I almost got hired by the IRS. Uh, it was the best thing that ever happened because they lost my application after they rated me a 94. Uh, I would have been an IRS auditor, uh, but I didn't want to fill out a legal size form on a typewriter the second time. So uh, from there, I uh, joined Ohio National Life in my hometown of Dayton, Ohio. Um, I spent uh, uh, one year working, uh, building a clientele, and then I got into uh, the home office, kind of evolved into advanced sales, doing estate and business planning. And that brought me to Colorado, where it's, which is where I live now. And I've been here since 1986. Um, I did five more years of estate and business planning with a local insurance company called Great West Life, and then got into again, private practice in 1992, really to this day. So uh, I've really seen a, a lot in the financial industry. I kind of say that overall, I was a traditionalist. Um, I ble believe that the stock market was efficient and that uh, everything would work out well if you were you know, well um, allocated in terms of stocks and bonds and what have you. But then uh, about 11 years ago, a client of mine said, Jeff, have you read the book? Which uh, she, he held up. Uh, the Bank on Yourself, Volume 1, and at that time, I hadn't, so I picked up a copy, read it cover to cover, and uh, the, uh, the, the, the magnificence of that was it really changed my outlook and way of looking at things 180 degrees. Uh, clearly, I reached out my hand and said, Pamela, could I be one of your Bank on Yourself professionals? I went through her coursework, and with my background, fortunately, I was able to become uh, one of her crew and uh, the rest is all history, as they say. So today, I think we have an exciting topic. Uh, we're going to kind of go right into it. It is called Managing Sequence of Returns Risk Using Whole Life, as Mark indicated earlier. So how would you like to be able to see a way to increase your retirement income by anywhere from 30 to 50% with no additional out-of-pocket expense? In other words, we're going to be moving 
buckets of money from one bucket to another, but no new money is necessary uh, to make this thing work. We were going to not increase your risk. If anything, we're going to decrease risk and then also possibly guarantee more of your retirement income. Those are all derivatives of this thing called a volatility buffer. So what is sequence of return risk? So sequence of returns risk is really when you um, are working with the stock market, you have a portfolio, we know that the returns are uncertain. You know, it seems like over the last decade, everything just keeps going up and up and up and up. But we know back in the 2000s, you know, the early 2000s, who could have predicted the dot-com bust? Who could have predicted the Great Recession? And what would have happened if that was the year you started your retirement? You know, to suffer a, in the case of the early 2000s, a 49% drop in your portfolio, or in the case of 2007 and 2008, to suffer a 53% drop in your portfolio could really wreak havoc on your prospects of not outliving your money, which we all know is one of the greatest fears we can have is the fear of running out of our money and having to rely on children, charity, things of that nature. So, but uh, sequence of return risk is really focused on the first five or 10 years. That volatility is so much more profound than if the volatility comes later in life, you know, in the 28th year, it's certainly not as impactful. So that's the focus is how do we address that uh, so it doesn't create, create a major problem. So there's really four different ways to manage sequence of return risk. And we're gonna look at those here right now. The first way is to um, spend conservatively. What we mean by this is you know, retirees want to have spending consistent and they want it to keep pace with inflation. Um, so to do this, uh, we can no longer go out to the bank and find a CD that pays 6%. In other words, safe money um, just doesn't pay a high rate of return. So most folks in this world right now are having to put together what we would consider a aggressive asset allocation so that they have the highest level of success. But with aggressive allocations comes the volatility. And that's where sequence of return risk comes into play. So the key to sort of overcome that volatility is um, a situation where you've got to um, take a small distribution versus a large distribution uh, so that you don't have high probability of success of running out of money. One of the people that I follow, his name is Wade Fowl. He's a PhD. He's also a CFA, uh, which is a uh, Chartered Financial Analyst. And he is the professor of retirement income studies at the American College, where many of us financial advisors get our degrees. So his statement is, and this was in 2013, so this situation hasn't gotten any better, but he said that investment portfolios that have a 4% initial real rate of return, excuse me, real withdrawal rate, have an approximate 50% probability of success over a 30-year period. So to put that in another terms, if you were boarding an airplane to Europe, and your pilot said that we have a 50% probability of arriving in London, would you board that plane? You know, the answer is probably no. <laughs> so, uh, so the thought is, is that um, we've got to uh, take a smaller distribution. So not to get too much into the weeds here, but the appropriate distribution for 30 years for most folks is probably about 2.6 to 2.8. I'm talking spigot, you know, distribution rate. So that means if you had a million dollars, 
2.6% distribution rate would mean $26,000. To make matters worse, if it's IRA money or qualified money, uh, that distribution could also be taxable. So you can see that uh, this first way of spending conservatively could really be problematic because of the small you know, distribution rate to not have higher probability of not making it all that uh, 30 years or beyond. And then the other problem is it can increase risk because there's no lever to provide relief after a market decline. So moving along, what would be the second way? Well, that would be uh, what's called maintain fl spending flexibility. So again, in this procedure, a person would still keep the aggressive investment portfolio. The way they though mitigate risk is to spend less after a market decline. So let's say scenario wise, let's say you have $50,000 as your annual income coming from your portfolio. Your, your portfolio suffers a 30% decline. So that's going to cause this person to take less out in the following years until the market recovers or his portfolio recovers. So would you really you know, uh, look at your family and say, we've got to reduce spending by 15%, which would mean going from $50,000 down to $35,000 per year. So I don't think this probably is practical uh, because you end up with volatile spending. Um, I kind of create the analogy that, you know, you plan a big, you know, lifelong family outing, you know, to Walt Disney World, you're taking your kids, your grandkids, and then, you know, market portfolio drops, and you've got to cancel that trip. So again, this isn't maybe the best method to overcome uh, these situations. The third way is to reduce volatility, um, where you're holding fixed income assets, typically bonds, uh, to maturity. If you look up uh, the average bond rate of returns these days, or I should say bond yields, um, a 30-year bond is paying somewhere in the neighborhood of 2%. And for shorter-term bonds, those rates can be as low as 25 basis points, almost like what the banks are paying on CDs. So once again, it's a tough time with these low interest rates that we're seeing in the marketplace to safely create fixed income that can produce enough for you to live on. So what people do maybe instead of that is they consider at retirement moving assets from at-risk uh, plans, you know, such as portfolios, into not at-risk plans, such as income annuities. Uh, an income annuity um, is something that, for example, you might say at age 65, I'm gonna take you know, 250,000 of my million dollar portfolio, and I'm gonna take that 250,000, give it to an insurance company, and then based on my age and my sex, at that time, I'm going to uh, receive a lifetime income that will live as long as I do. Furthermore, I might say if I'm married, I might do a joint income and survivor annuity. So that's gonna pay for two lifetimes. However, at the end of those lifetimes, the insurance company keeps the balance. Um, so if there's a good side of this, the payout rates are right now in the sixes uh, versus that you know 4% or 3% or 2.6%. So again, on a million dollars, a 6% payout rate or 6.8 or what have you would be $68,000. Uh, probably five years ago, those rates for 65-year-olds were as high as 10%. But again, things have dropped. So just keep an eye out. That's why you wouldn't buy one today. You buy it when you're ready to turn income on. So hopefully interest rates are starting to work their way back up. And uh, so keep an eye out. 
for this as a part of your solution. They do say that people who have income annuities, they rest easier in retirement because you never have to worry about your paycheck you know, coming to you in retirement. Uh, the other couple points here is defined benefit pension plans. Uh, these are ideal if you have them. Uh, not everybody does, um, but uh, that just means that the insurance company backing the pension is taking the risk. So you're getting a check each and every month. And then the last point is you could consider what's called a rising equity glide path, where you start out conservatively managing your portfolio so that you don't have volatility in the earlier years. And then later on, as you go throughout the 30 years of retirement or beyond, you get more equities, more stocks uh, mixed into your uh, vehicle so that you have a bit higher return later on. Okay. So the fourth way is to do what's called buffer assets where you avoid using buffer, actually you use buffer assets to help avoid selling from your portfolio uh, when there is market loss. So the goal is to establish other assets outside of your financial portfolio to draw from after a market downturn. Uh, so um, what we look at with our clients is to build two baskets of money uh, during your pre-retirement years, otherwise known as accumulation years. So this could be a case where normally you're saving you know, um, uh, let's see, $1,000 a month, rather than put all of that into your 401k, consider maybe taking a portion uh, where our office can help you what, with what that portion should be. But let's say 500 goes into a, a buffer asset, um, you know, that builds this cash reserve, and then the other half goes into market-based products. So now when you're at the top of the mountain and you're ready to retire, you see that you have two baskets. Uh, the key, though, is that the other basket should not be correlated with the financial portfolio. So that means that when the market goes up and down, you want your uh, buffer asset to continue to grow each and every year at a guaranteed minimum, ideally, and then with dividends, let's say, you know, um, an even greater return. So what might that vehicle be? How about whole life? And so uh, many of the people on this podcast today, on this Zoom call, um, already have whole life. So the good news is you don't have to do necessarily anything different. Just look at things from the standpoint of two baskets, having the right amount in your whole life cash value and death benefits and having the correct amount in your portfolio. Using these together can actually give you more income in retirement with less risk. All right. Uh, so um, let's look at ways to help manage and see some examples. So we have two folks, Jane and Jim, they have a 15-year income scenario where when they start retirement, they had a half a million dollars in their investment portfolio. Uh, they're going to take $20,000 out per year, which works out to be 4%, and they're going to adjust those distributions uh, for inflation. Let's also assume that both of these folks have the same average rate of return. Uh, the difference is the sequence of returns. So for Jane, she was the unfortunate party where all of the bad sequences of returns happened early in life. Uh, what we're seeing in this example of 15 years is uh, an assumption where she actually invested in an index fund that managed to uh, mirror the S&P 500 from the year 2000 to 2015. If you've looked at that particular chart, you can sort of recognize the negative 10, the negative 13, the negative 23, and what those losses did to her portfolio. It basically took her half a million and in just three years, put her down to 
thousand dollars. Yes, there was a recovery, you know, in the fourth year, but it's on a smaller sum of money. So that's where she's really getting into trouble. So much so that at age uh, 81, you know, where she doesn't want to go back to work, she's now faced with only $74,000 left for what might be another 15, 20 years of retirement. Uh, compare that with Jim's situation where he experienced the same chart, but in reverse. So we have the same 3.77% average, but it's again in reverse. So now what that has done with those negatives being seen later in life, he has 344,000. So that's approximately a $270,000 difference from Jane's situation. And again, uh, the averages are the same. So that's why when you're working with financial professionals, be very leery when they talk you know, averages because the markets don't work in averages. They go up and they go down and it's the timing of those ups and downs that can make all the difference. So how do we fix this situation, uh, particularly for Jane? Um, so what we can maybe do is have a buffer asset. So in this example, she's going to create a buffer asset utilizing whole life. She did this earlier in life. So while she was going up the mountain, she was wise enough to set aside additional funds on top of the $500,000 and put those into a life insurance program so that she could take loans and withdrawals uh, for any year following a negative market year in her portfolio when she retires. So graphically, what that looks like is remember the years following where she was taking those even Steven distributions, we're going to stop taking money out to allow the portfolio to better recover. So again, if we have a 13% loss, what makes things really tough is taking another 4% out you know, 20,000 plus two and a half percent inflation to add insult to injury. So by not doing that, we have considerably more money in the earlier years than if we had taken those distributions and towards the tail end, she's left with almost um, $250,000 of remaining balance compared to the 74,000 she experienced earlier. So that works out to be a difference of 175,000 just by having 61,000 available, which was the net uh, distribution from her whole life policy over these four problematic years. Hope that makes sense, okay? So other considerations, you know, remember whole life isn't just about being a buffer, you know, to provide cash when needed in retirement. It also provides much needed family protection during her working years and in retirement. Uh, that can also mean wealth transfer. There's a whole, body of knowledge on, you know, kind of, uh, you know, providing for your children, um, you know, such that uh, us baby boomers, at least myself, you know, we kind of had um, a, um, I think, a, a financial times where we had an easier path to success. And so some folks are actually providing the ultimate gift through um, owning life insurance on the parent or even on the grandparent with the idea that you would name your children or grandchildren as beneficiaries so that they can get um, um, almost a guaranteed return because we're all you know, going to die sometime. So it produces the highest value for the least amount of money. And that's the idea of wealth transfer. Um, also, we, we know that if plans are designed to be not a modified endowment contract, which means overfunded, but not so overfunded to be taxed as an investment, then these people can enjoy tax-free withdrawals and loans without having to negotiate with the IRS 
on what share is theirs. So uh, that is to me a super powerful thing because we all believe, I think, that taxes are probably not going down in the immediate future. There's proposals right now to increase taxes as we speak. And then there's a new option that's been offered by many of our insurance companies and it's called an accelerated death benefit plus rider. This enables the insured to actually accelerate vast sums of their death benefit, not just cash value, but their death benefit if they suffer a, a chronic illness or with some companies, if they suffer a, um, a specified medical condition such as heart attack, stroke, life-threatening cancers, things of that nature. So having that access to money when you need it most is really what life insurance is all about. So let's look at a concept called the 10 pay life and the 4X concept where you can actually have your cake and eat it too. So in this idea, we're gonna have four steps. First step is to fund your program for the first 10 years. Then we're gonna grow our plan for the next 10 years, but put more, no more contributions in. Then in the third step, we're going to recover all that we paid over that um, remaining next 10 years, I should say. And then lastly, we're gonna receive living benefits um, up to 10 years, if not longer. So to look at this um, specifics, we have Joe uh, who is 50. He has a million dollar life insurance protection need. Um, he also has um, a higher need for life insurance um, up to retirement. So he's going to purchase this program now. He's also interested in supplementing income in the future. Why? Because he may want to use a volatility buffer to make his portfolio perform better. And then he would like to have coverage to his later years um, for chronic illness. So to achieve that mission, we're going to have him put in a certain amount per year. In this example, uh, 24,000 per year. He might fund it either annually, monthly, quarterly, um, but uh, that is his goal. And then he's gonna put half of his budget into whole life and the other half of the budget is going in, into what's called a level premium paid up addition rider. Uh, Pamela Yellen refers this as the turbocharger that can really boost cash, it reduces commissions, and it makes these programs kind of second to none. So uh, by doing that strategy, we see that in just the first 10 years, after he has put in $240,000, his cash value has already exceeded his investment. Um, in addition, his death benefit has grown from $1 million to $1.37 million. Uh, at the 20th year, he continues to see growth, but no more premiums going in. So he's almost at 400,000 of cash. And now his death benefit is 700,000. The reason for the drop as footnoted is because that 10 year term rider uh, has jettisoned at the uh, 10 year mark. Now he begins 10 years of taking $24,000 a year, income tax free under current law out of his program. And now as he sees age 80, he still has 290,000 after receiving all that income over those prior years. And so then finally, you can see the cash continues to grow. So uh, we may be running short here. And then finally, you can see these lump sums available uh, for uh, chronic illness, uh, a smaller lump sum if there is a specified medical condition. The key is this is a living, breathing document and it can help you in many different ways. And with that, I thank you.
thank you, Jeff, for going through this concept with us and giving us some real life case studies for folks that have unfortunately been hit with early low returns, getting hit with that massive earthquake at the top of the mountain of their retirement, and what it looks like when someone has a volatility buffer, i.e. a whole life insurance policy, to manage a couple of years of expenses when the markets crash. Uh, my experience has been when markets are crashing, you don't want to also be taking money out of your investment accounts. That's like getting punched in the face twice. Nobody wants that. Instead, when those markets are falling, pause taking the distributions out of your investments and instead pull from the whole life insurance policy, as Jeff describes. If you had just four or five years of living expenses in cash value in a bank on yourself designed whole life policy, then you might make it through your retirement years never having to draw on your investments when the markets are tumbling. Because remember, you still have to eat no matter what the stock market is doing. So it's important that you have a buffer account or a backup plan to grab cash when the markets are tumbling. So thank you, Jeff, for this really cool idea. And again, guys, if you want to learn more about this, we did a podcast episode on it. Clear back at episode 194, uh, where you can learn about that. That's episode 194, where we talk about the buffer account uh, and the volatility buffer strategy. So for this and for the rest of the week, I hope you guys take this and do the math on it. Decide for yourself if this is a strategy you could employ. It certainly is something that a lot of our clients have enjoyed. And I look forward to talking with you about it as well. Uh, so reach out to Jeff, reach out to us, and we can get you connected to Jeff. You can reach us at notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com and then click on request a meeting. I'll make sure uh, we get you connected to Jeff if you'd like to speak with him. So thank you guys for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.